Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Uh, who's this episode brought to us by again? It is brought to us by and you, not just you and me, David. The listener. I respond to everyone, by Yeah. Uh, by Miniflix, the premier streaming site for award winning short films. Miniflix acquires short films that have premiered at Cannes, Sundance, TIFF, and many more, meaning you can see great short films available nowhere else online. Miniflix also offers several Oscar nominated and Oscar winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms. So, this week, I am talking about a film called The Foreigner. A cheery but remote Greek village fears the end of their idyllic home when a new law requires an increase in population at the risk of losing all local government funding. Uh, Shot on location in sunny Greece, many won't be surprised to find that co-producer Christos V... Oh, I practiced it in the in the rehearsal. Constantacopolis. Constantacopolis, pardon me. Uh, apologies to Greek listeners. Uh, too many letters in your name. Why not go with something like Smith or Bax? Uh-huh. <laughs> it works a lot better. But then, I mean, there is something to be said for, like, the satisfaction of learning That's how to, true. Like, That's true. Like, uh, Greek-American actress Melina Kanakaridis. I love that I know how to say sure. her name. It's fun. It's, there's a, there's that wonderful, I think it's the Charlie Sheen roast where Patrice O'Neill is referencing Anthony Jeselnik. He goes, Anthony, uh, uh, I'm not going to take the time to learn your name. I already learned Galifianakis. That's the last weird name I'm going to learn. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Christos Constantacopoulos. Constantacopoulos, that's it. Uh, so uh, he's also responsible for Richard, uh, Richard Linkletter's uh, Before Midnight, uh, which took place uh, in Greek? In, in Greece? Greece? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've actually never seen uh, the Before trilogy. That's I, right. own, I, I own it. Uh, yeah. And you know what? That. When I, when I'm done with this, I will ask you a question about that. Um, okay. So this uh, 2012 comedy won it won an Emmy and placed uh, in several major short film festivals such as Raindance and the Palm Springs International Film Festival. So once again, that is called The Foreigner. New films are being added each month, and you can watch these incredible award-winning short films anytime, anywhere, on any streaming device for only $3.99 a month. Or, as a Battleship Retention listener, you can get a free 30-day trial of commercial-free award-winning short films. Just go to the page for this week's movie journal and click on the Miniflix banner at the bottom and redeem the special offer. So, in regards to the Before Trilogy... Now that it's pretty much done, right? Like, it's it was meant to be a trilogy. They're not going to make a fourth, right? Uh, I don't know if that was ever the case, because we didn't really know. Yeah. I guess like, that's true. Um, when Before Sunset was announced, people were like, what? Yeah, that was a surprise. And he made it very, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so I don't, uh, I don't know. Knows. And what year was Before Midnight? I want to say that was 2013. Okay. So we've still got yeah. like four more years. Yeah, maybe 2014. I don't remember, but uh, but yeah, and so well, that's right. It's because always nine years. So 95, 04, okay. 13. There we go. Yeah. Um, and so if I wanted to watch the trilogy, would you suggest that I leave a little bit? Let's say a week in between each film, or oh. I could watch them over the course of three days, or I could watch them all in one day. Um, that there's no wrong way or right way. Um. So I'd be interested to see. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess the the idea of leaving time in between is kind of false anyway, because you know there's an. It's not, you're not going to replicate the experience I had of right. being like, oh my god, there's another one. You know, right? right. So um, 
but allowing myself a week, I think is the same as allowing somebody else nine years, yeah. uh, to just <laughs> to really go. let it sink in. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can think about it and you can be like, I wonder what Jesse and Celine, right? Sure. That's Julie Duffy's character. I wonder why, I wonder if they did end up because at the end of the first one, they're like, Hey, let's meet up again in six months and you get to spend a week. Hmm. Whereas we spent nine years. Uh, I didn't see it in 95. I probably spent like three years right. or whatever. Um, uh, wondering, I wonder if they did get back together. And then, you know, you they know. did not, they did not, yes. but then they do. And you get the best of the three, in my opinion, the second one. It's, it is and interesting. I feel like that's become a pretty standard opinion. Yeah. I mean, people, when before sunset came out, came out, they said, Oh, this is better than before sunrise. And then before midnight came out and they said, Oh, this is better than, and I wonder if that just speaks to... But I still think the second one is the best. You still think... Yeah, that's oh, okay. what I was saying. And I, oh, I, 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 and I do feel like that's that seems to be at least... I don't know. We all curate our own sure. followers on Twitter, so maybe I'm just seeing that reflected back at me because I'm following people who have similar opinions to me. People are just sucking up to you, David. <laughs> all right. Um, let's talk about some movies that we watched. Okay. I'm going to start and talk for a while. I will uh, say I had three. One of them is under... Uh, yeah, under embargo. So yeah. I I will be talking about it next week when I'm that's, when I'm able to. That's your rule. Um, you're allowed, obviously. Yeah. Um, we are. Neither one of us has veto power over the other. Is that true? There's probably some things we could veto. We could veto. Well, there was that. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying. To, I feel like we generally don't. I. F- yeah, I don't think so. I think for the most part, it's just like yeah, sure, that sounds fine. Yeah. All I right. think I think neither of us are despite what it may seem like I think neither of us are really passionate enough to require a veto it's more just I don't know if that's a good idea yeah, yeah you're right yeah <laughs> but um, okay so I'm gonna start with the movie that you need to see okay it's a new-ish uh, Iranian movie called No Date No Signature okay uh, because I know uh, as long as I've known you one of your favorite themes to be explored in movies is guilt yes uh, so no date, no signature is about a driver who, uh, a, a doctor who is driving, uh, home one night and he is sideswiped mm-hmm. and briefly loses control of his car and knocks into a motorcycle that is carrying all four members of a poor family. Oh. Uh, and he, and he stops and makes sure everyone's okay. The only one who seems not okay is the boy is saying like, you know, my head hurts. And mm. this guy is a doctor is saying like checking for concussions, checking for stuff. And he tells the, the father, you, you should take him to a clinic just to, just to be sure. Right. Uh, he's like, in fact, I'll lead you to where the clinic is. It's just down here. And he leads them and the father just doesn't go in because you know, he's poor or right. because he can't, afford, whatever it is, uh, the father decides not to the next morning when the doctor is at work at the hospital, he finds out the boy has died. Mm hmm. But the autopsy says he had botulism oh, okay. because uh, the the family again. This is a poor family, right. and the, they had bought some chicken, sort of a black market chicken that was like yeah. being thrown out of the the um, uh, the factory. So now you've got double guilt here. You've got this guy saying, "Okay, so you're saying he had botulism. You have an hundred percent proven." that's what killed the kid. And also right. because I kept my mouth shut about the accident, you didn't know to check the person who did the autopsy mm. didn't. So now he's racked with like not knowing. Yeah. Meanwhile, the father who bought the cheap chicken 
is also racked with guilt because sure. he is under the impression and could be right that this chicken killed his son. Yeah. And then that's the, <laughs> that's the movie and it's mm. pretty incredible. I have that to sounds say it's really good. Um, the performances are the two lead, the two men, the two lead performances are fantastic and both very different reactions to, to guilt. You see the doctor sort of like, he's got a, of lead cloak on just sort of like weighed down mm-hmm. by it where you see the father who is just like acting out lashing wailing yeah. like uh it's uh uh really fantastic i would say um it's also like so many iranian movies um and also there's it also reminded me uh, so it reminds me of askar farhadi's movies in the sense that mm-hmm. like one thing tends to sort of lead to another and like yeah. ends up fucking up a whole lot of people's lives. But also, uh, and I'm drawing a blank on his name of the guy who made Leviathan. Leviathan is also oh, one yeah. of my favorite. Uh, I don't remember his name either. Um, not the Leviathan documentary, which is also amazing. right. You're talking about the eighties, uh, monster. <laughs> movie, not that one either. The, the Russian movie from a few years ago, which yeah. I think made my top 10 list that year. Yeah. It's um, a marvelous film. Uh, so it reminds me of that in the way you're seeing, these very human dramas play out that you kind of get the impression. Like, I think something's being said about this government, this philosophy, this society, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, There's some sort of comment on the culture going on here. Um, I'd say one minor drawback about no date, no signature is that it ends on kind of an ambiguous note, which I normally like, but I also feel like it kind of like, hangs a lantern on the ambiguity and just like, look how ambiguous we're being, which is mm. kind of a turnoff for me. Yeah. That's a, but it, it's a, it's a minor gripe. Uh, I, I will continue to sing the praises of this movie to anyone who, uh, wants to hear it. No date, no signature. Okay. And then I went home and, uh, fired up the old stream streaming box machine. Uh, and I watched another Iranian movie because last, if you remember last week I had seen taste of cherry and mm-hmm. loved it. So I decided to watch another Abbas Kiarostami movie. I watched 10. Have okay. Seen 10? Uh, I've heard great things about it. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it feels, it, it kind of feels like one of those like dogma 95 or like five obstructions type of like, mm-hmm. it's has an incredibly li- like strict limited, uh, thing where it's, um, the, the premise is there's a female main character and the entire movie takes place in her car and it's 10 chapters, each one with each one constituting the car, the length of a car ride with a passenger. It's not 10 different passengers. Like right. she has a son that shows up a few times and a friend that shows up a couple times, but right. then there's also some, some, some one-offs. Um, and the camera pretty much only stays either on her or on the passenger. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. move. It's just like there are two angles. There is in one of the things there is a third angle. I wouldn't. I won't spoil it uh, for anyone. But um, it's it's no taste of cherry. But it uh, it is fascinating to watch. And again, like I, I feel like I mean I feel like any movie is a comment on the culture in which it's made. Sure. But there's something about so many Iranian movies by by. Um, by this guy, by Jafar uh, Panahi, by um, uh, who made the White Balloon? Is that Jafar Panahi or is that someone else? I don't recall. Um, it it just seems like there's they're they're using again personal drama to say enormous things. Yeah. Um, because one of the, the so the person who's in the car the most often is her young son, 
and he ends up in the car with her a lot because she shares custody with his father Mm -hmm. from whom she is divorced. That's a, a divorced woman who is now single and ready to remarry um, and works as a photographer, like works as an art, as an artist. Um, that's not, I feel like that's not the kind of Tehran resident we see in a lot of movies. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Unless there's something like it's about that, you know, but the, right. just the idea of just like, yeah, I'm a divorced woman and that's part of my life and I'm going about my, um, mostly very secular life. Yeah. Uh, but of course, because it's Iran still wearing a uh, headscarf in public, um, uh, it's, I don't know. I was reminded of, and I can't remember where I was reading about this, but just the sort of common sense idea that the more movies you watch from another country, the more you identify with the people of that country. Do you know what I mean? Like it's easy uh, for Americans or any real first world country, I think to treat the residents of, I don't know, Syria or whatever as um, either just a faceless mass or as a, an idea or like a political cause or whatever, you know, but um, there's something to be said for what you can learn uh, and how you just sort of subconsciously identify with people when you with the more time you spend more or less in their country through the movies Do you know well, what I mean? and seeing things through the eyes of an Iranian director. And I would say seeing any, any world, even one within your own country that is different than yours. That's something that you and I talked about with the Florida project is that yeah, yeah. when we, when we as a nation talk about the poor, I think we have this image in our mind that they're just like sitting around warming their hands over a uh-huh. trash can fire or something yeah. and just miserable all the time. Now, of course there can be tremendous stress trying to like, you know, make ends meet and stuff like that, but there's still people and people have the tremendous, a tremendous capacity for joy yeah. and connection and that sort of thing. And then, you know, Florida project, there is sad stuff in it and it is, and there are elements to the situation that are inherently depressing, but the tone, yeah, as far as the characters themselves, because they are just people like, well, they're just living day to day like everybody else. And they have people they love and people whose company they enjoy and they will do what they want. And so, uh, so it's, it's that kind of thing that like we all have, once we start thinking about like a group of people like, Oh, Iranians. Yes. I know what that means. (laughs) Right. Eh, I'm not sure if you do. Um, and that reminds me of something we've talked about before the idea that I think you and I have both had, even though we sort of use it tongue in cheek, we've had problems with the term first world problems. Sure. Because it's kind of condescending to assume that people in the third world don't also get annoyed when one of their headphones is working and the other one isn't. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, they have big problems, but they have little annoyances too. Yeah. Uh, if their shoelace breaks, they don't go like, oh, well, I'm also <laughs> you right. know, living in a third world country and don't have uh, access to, to clean water or whatever they're going. Yeah. You, uh, this. Y- Sucks you almost too. feel like they're walking along in kind of a, a happy haze where it's just like, like, Oh no, this car, you know, splashed mud all over me, but Hey, my dad's dead. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, I guess it could yeah, be what worse. If we just wait all our problems <laughs> before deciding to, how to react. Okay. So that's 10. It's, it's very good. Um, next up is a rewatch. Okay. Uh, and you'll have plenty to say because it's one of your favorite movies of all time. Yes, indeed. Uh, Roman Polanski's Chinatown. Mm hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously, I mean, we can't, when did you last see it? 
in full, I feel like it has been 15 years. Already. I mean, obviously it was playing at your wedding and yeah, that was the, the best, yeah, that was the best way to see it, I uh-huh. think. But <laughs> yeah, 15 years. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I revisited and I remember, I mean, cause I remember we watched, well, even this was almost, even this was like 10 years ago when one of our early profiles was on cinematographer John, John Alonzo. Alonzo. Yeah. So I remember rewatching, uh, some of the stuff there, particularly, um, the whole scene where we meet, I, is, I think it's the first time we meet the detective who used to work with Jake in Chinatown. And that's mm-hmm. also when we find out that Hollis Mulray is dead when they're at yeah. the, the reservoir. Yeah. Um, that whole scene is awesome from a John A. Alonzo perspective because of how bright it is. And also the, but also the fact that everyone was wearing these hats. And so like yeah. everyone's eyes are like shaded and mm-hmm. it looks, uh, it could look really crummy, yeah. I think, but he, he makes it look very cool. Um, but yeah, this this movie is great. I mean, I feel I, I still feel like with Roman Polanski, like we can't not mention that he's awful. Yeah, um, and it is, you know, it's 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 hard. I I, I really like a lot of his movies. Um, well, it's it's possible for him to be a genuine genius, you know, sure, and yeah, still yeah, yeah. and and capable of horrendous things. And I think it's and it possible. Excuse those things. No, yeah. not at all. I mean, if it comes right down to it, like yes what he did to another human being was real. The movies that he's making while maybe emotionally real and maybe holding some, you know, dealing with some kind of truth, they are not real. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, I'd say side with what's real, but at the same time, you can still acknowledge like, Oh, these are horrible things, what he did. And I wish they hadn't happened. And I, in for myself, like I wish that he had been truly brought to justice that said, Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown Repulsion are still like absolute masterpieces. Yes, yeah, those are the three that I would have gone, yeah, gone directly to as well. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, Chinatown is great. Um, this was, uh, yeah, n- not having watched it in full in fifteen years, this is the first time I'd watched it in full af- as an Angelino, and mm-hmm. that's so that's fun. Um, it makes me. I, I did wonder because do you remember the address of? Uh, Khan's address at the end, where when they're in, in Chinatown, uh, I it, don't remember it's, the. It's Alameda, right? Seventeen twelve Alameda. Yeah, and I looked that up to be sure. I don't know if Chinatown was bigger in the thirties, or if it was, which is possible, possible, or if it was further, like centered further south. I don't think seventeen seventeen twelve Alameda. I don't think that would be considered Chinatown today. But it's fairly close. But it's south of that. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't think about stuff like that, but, and what, and cause I, I rewatched Chinatown somewhat recently. And when they said Alameda, I was like, you mean like in Burbank? No, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a moment to realize, Oh, right. There's another one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's uh, what happens when you're a Valley resident, especially you've only been a Valley resident. I remember I worked with, cause I used to work in Burbank and I worked with someone and I asked her like, it was like a Friday night. And I was like, you guys have any plans? And like, um, she was like, Oh, we're going downtown for dinner. And I was like, Oh, where are you going? And then I realized she was talking about going to downtown. Burbank. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like by the, by the oh mall. boy. <laughs> watch it. Watch your wallet. Yeah. You know? Um, <laughs> and um, I think it speaks to like, think about if, <laughs> think about if Chinatown was called Burbank uh-huh. and just like, forget it, Jake, it's Burbank. Like, uh-huh. I feel like the film wouldn't be remembered quite so well. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I had, I had forgotten how much 
how often Chinatown comes up. Like I, I remember that it was like brought up that he used to work in Chinatown and then yeah. that it ends in Chinatown, but like it's a recurring thing throughout. Yeah. They keep referencing it. Yeah. Um, uh, to the point where like, I think even if you've never been to Los Angeles, as soon as like they say the address, as soon as you see Jake's reaction before he even says that's in Chinatown, you know, yeah. Oh, that, I bet that's in Chinatown. Oh yeah. We've been talking about that the entire movie. Um, um did, okay. So, you know, my common contention is that the best and pre- by best, perhaps I mean most vile, movie villain uh-huh. is Noah Cross. Now he's not in the movie very much, but given what we know he has done and what he is still doing and his general attitude and philosophy and that wonderful performance, what do you think of my contention that he is in, indeed at the very least a top five movie villain? Uh, I mean, by uh, I would say top five sounds good. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, <laughs> different villains serve different purposes. You know, some of them you're supposed to kind of love to hate, you know, like Hans Gruber is a great villain, but also because like he's, we understand that he's a little bit cool, even though he's like ruthless and, and murderous and all that. Um, he's cool and he's has like makes funny, you know, uh, I hear Arafat buys his there. That one, like little jokes like that. And he's like, Oh, he's cool. Um, so (laughs) it's a different, a different set of, yeah, uh, anyway, oh, another thing, speaking of watching it as an Angelino, and this drove me crazy. So speaking, when, when we first meet Noah Cross, when, mm-hmm. when Jack Nicholson, when J, when Jake goes to, uh, what is it? The, uh, uh, Albacore the ranch. Albacore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the shot the, on the beach was shot on Catalina. Hmm. Because you can see the oh yes that's big, true what they call they call it the casino yeah which is confusing to a lot of people it was never a casino in the sense that we think of it whenever yeah. you see the shot of Catalina and Avalon you see uh, I think it's at the north end of the beach a big huge circular building yeah and it's called the casino but it's I guess the old or the just Italian word casino just means sort of like public gathering social place yeah. uh, we've just twisted it to only mean like yeah. gambling halls uh anyway <laughs> that's a that's an aside but so, so i was like confused i was like so wait is the albacore ranch supposed to be on one of the channel islands is it supposed to be on catalina but it's not like it's right it's clear that it's not eventually but it really threw me off because then i was also like why did they go all the way to catalina just to sh- i guess just it's a good location it is, get that yeah. casino there uh and he gets to stand on like the pier. Mm. Um, and it's crazy now to like see like where he, he walks right by where you have to check in when you get off the yeah. boat. And now it's like a building that was probably built in the eighties that, yeah. you know, uh, looks all crummy. Um, I still and, like Catalina, but yeah. Uh, oh, I love, I love yeah. Catalina, but, um, I'm saying the part right when you get off the ferry is yeah. not the, it just looks like a, the check-in of any touristy yeah. place. Uh, and here it's like a cute little, uh, ranch like shack and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Anyway, we're not really talking about Chinatown, <laughs> but that's fine. We don't, you, well, you, you need to hear about Chinatown or, you know, it's great. Yeah. It's, uh, it's marvelous. And it, I, I remember the kid stays in the picture and Robert town, uh, Robert Evans talking about Robert town and town, describe China, describe Chinatown like in his script saying like, it's a state of mind. 
Mm-hmm. And Robert Evans being like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> but you know what? When I talk to people about Chinatown, I, I get it. Yeah. Like there's a clear story. There's clear character stuff going on. And yet somehow I find it very difficult to talk about Chinatown because it's, it's more of a, it's like a vibe, uh-huh. uh, if that makes any sense at all. And the fact uh-huh. that they're just continually evoking this place that yes, it, the climax is there, but it's, it's, it's a memory. But when the characters talk about Chinatown, it's more just like, this thing that just loom, this concept that looms large over them yeah. and just, and the film itself is like that to me. Um, it's also funny, funny mm-hmm. when I, the part when, uh, so the woman who initially pretends to be Eleanor Mulray, yeah. when she calls on the phone and he's like sort of joking, like thinks it's like, yeah. I don't know you or whatever. And then as soon as she says who she is and he covers the phone and says to his cohorts, shut the shut fuck up. up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. All right, let's move on to mm. a not funny at all movie. Okay. Um, well, I mean, it's, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> uh, it's a Norwegian movie called what will people say? And it is a, apparently this is really heavy is apparently a semi-autobiographical movie by this, uh, this director. Her name is, um, Iram, ha- Iram Haak. I, no, I can't remember. Um, anyway, so it's about a, uh, teenage, but yeah, Iram Haak, uh, teenage Pakistani girl whose family emigrated to, to Norway. Mm-hmm. She grew up in Norway. She's essentially a Norwegian, except she, lives with a very, a very strict Muslim Pakistani family. And, um, her father catches her in her bedroom with the boy. She sneaks a boy into her mm-hmm. bedroom, uh, to make out her father catches her. And, uh, essentially against her will ships her off back off to Islamabad to live with mm-hmm. his brother. Um, and, and to sort of be, I guess, reindoctrinated, indoctrinated into, Islam, but also it's because he's ashamed of her and their, their Muslim community in, in, uh, Oslo, I I can't remember if it's Oslo, but in Norway is the, they can't show their face around them. That's what it's called. What will people say? Um, and the, I don't want to go, it gets worse and worse and worse what this girl goes through. Um, and I don't want to go into details. I, I feel I saw it with my wife and she like, I think was more, I felt troubled by it. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's troubling, but, and obviously the fact that it's made by a Pakistani slash Norwegian woman, um, it does seem like she's, you know, using the movie to, to sort of get, get through some stuff, but also to exact some revenge on this community that did Mm -hmm. this to her. My fear is that the movie could essentially be used as an Islamophobic piece of propaganda. Like, yeah. because there are no, other than this girl, there are no pretty much no positive Muslim characters in the movie. Right. They, their entire worldview is, uh, something that those of us living in the Western 21st century world see as barbaric and inhumane and that's just normal to them and it's complete and then the movie really got like when she uh because when when it first happens the father uh hits the boy 
Mm-hmm. So they end up having to go to a social worker. And the social worker, the white Norwegian lady social worker, keeps saying to this girl, uh, Nisha is the character's name, you didn't do anything wrong. And yeah. so it really does like seem to be setting out this... It, the movie seems very clear about what its morality is, which yeah. is it sides with the Norwegian social worker. Nisha didn't do anything wrong. This is a teenage girl being a teenage girl. Um, n- no one got hurt. She didn't no. do anything that put anyone at risk. Um, and so then having established that and then just seeing how, like I said, it goes further than I've, than I've described. Right. Um, just, how strongly every other Muslim character in the movie reacts no. to to this, and the way that the um, we see the the Norwegian Muslims putting on a fit when they're in when they interact with the white Norwegians, mm-hmm. I guess um, they behave in a way that seems to to have very much be, I guess, assimilated, no. and then behind closed doors, they're uh, you know treating girls like prisoners um it's i I struggle with it uh and i will say i mean just as a movie viewer it's not a fun movie to watch not that all movies need to be fun um but there is uh i've often said like one of the big reasons i didn't like uh prisoners the denis villeneuve Mm -hmm. movie um is because it felt like it's like two and a half hours of suffering and i don't know what it was for right here this is you know, thankfully an hour and five minutes or so oh, of, uh, all right. of not, I'm sorry, 105 minutes, Damn it. <laughs> uh, 105 minutes or so of, of suffering. And I'm not sure what it's for. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not that it wasn't for anything. It's clearly for something. I'm just not sure how yeah. I feel about the point of the, the suffering. And I feel like if it's, if it's a situation where, so I think I told, did I tell you about that documentary that I saw last year? Um, called I think it's called Midnight Return, and it's about Billy Hayes. Who, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the film Midnight, the movie, and, sorry, the the book and film Midnight Express are based on his mm-hmm. experiences in a Turkish prison, and you know some stuff was fictionalized and other stuff was very much not, and so. Uh, Turkey was like this. This isn't what we are. I mean, okay, yeah, sure. Kind of, but not totally. And, and so, uh, I feel like if, if this is indeed autobiographical and this is how this person is choosing to deal with it. And if indeed they dealt with a subset of people that in fact were quite barbaric, then you know what? Like, yeah, yeah, that some people might exploit that, but that's, I know it sounds weird, but just, I'd say let the not that you're suggesting you're not going to let her do this, but just of course, yeah. it's it's something that she's working out. So I'd say in the same way that uh, don't get me wrong, neither of us are big fans of Fight Club, but yeah. some people are like oh, but it's it it could uh, it could cause people to to yeah, react a certain true. way, and it's like yeah, that's I'm usually on your side with that. With this, yeah. it felt I don't know why it felt different, and it's and it's also funny that I had that. Uh, my wife is more on your side here because normally in these kind of arguments, my wife is is in my position. Sure. Like, um, if there's a character in a movie who is, um, like, let's say, a racist character, yeah, and the point of the movie is that you're supposed to laugh at this person for being an idiot. Mm-hmm. My wife will often be like, "But you know, 
how do we know that people aren't laughing because they think he's right? And yeah. It's like, usually I'm on your side. And it's like, you can't control that. Right. You know, but here, I don't know why, I guess because there's a difference between laughing and, 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 and the feelings of the, the, the very, uh, vitriolic feelings that I started to feel right to one of these people. Who, like I saw my, like I was, uh, I was like, uh, I could see how in the wrong hands this could right. lead to someone feeling some very dangerous thoughts. And so, well, and here's the thing. Okay. So let me ask this. You seem angry that this happened, but not because it happened. Like it's like, Oh, why did these people have to do this? Why couldn't it have been somebody well, that I'm more comfortable with? Well, but that's the thing. If it were like, I remember when spotlight came out and I'm not even Catholic, Uh but I remember just feeling like, ah, fuck. Like this is a movie that's going to make people say, ah, see this is what the church is. And then, and then I said like, well, then the church shouldn't have done it. Or at least the church in Boston shouldn't have done it. It's the way it goes. Like it's, it's unfortunate that the perpetrators fall into a certain demographic that sucks but when it comes right to and and people could absolutely exploit it and that also sucks but when it comes right down to it like the thing that we and i've not seen the film and i don't think i'm going to to be honest with you um the thing that we ultimately should mourn is is that this happened to this person and that if they but that they feel empowered enough this is not a mourning thing but the fact that they feel empowered enough to tell their story and yeah, maybe even if it comes from a vengeful place, maybe you're not thrilled with that, but it's just like she felt strong enough and okay yeah. enough to tell this story. And I'm happy about that. And someone could do something wrong with it, but such is always the case with, well, true. some yeah. art, yeah. some of it who gives a shit. Um, but. yeah, no, I'm, uh, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I still can't really recommend the movie cause it's not like, I don't know. It, it's, very, it's very unpleasant to watch. And, it, and um, it's, I remember the, what was it? I think it was John Stewart. This is a weird analogy to make, but I, I think, I think that there's a connection in my mind. Uh, during the, so when, when it came out that like certain IRS offices, again, not the IRS, but certain offices and certain employees like did target like conservative groups and said like, Oh, we're going to not, uh, like we're going to, uh, focus on them a bit more and not grant them like uh, tax oh, exemption. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like but no, I know what you're going to say. That's not what I'm doing here. Well, you know the John Stewart thing, right? Yeah, I know this story. Uh, yeah. Where it's just like, like, oh, why'd you have to do that? Like, that that proves this. And it's like, well, it does, yes, and that sucks, but also you could just be angry that this happened. Not angry that it's the Democrats. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. and I'm not that. Okay. I, I think I'm just... Um, I, I'm also kind of, I think, taking into consideration, not that I've never been in Norway. Um, I've never been to any Scandinavian countries. Let's go. Uh, yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> but I, th- I think, and, and you know, maybe our, our European listeners could, um, uh, I hope I don't say anything to upset them, but, sure. uh, I would like to get their opinion on this. I feel like despite an increasingly vocal, um, white supremacist America, um, I, I I do think to most reasonable Americans the idea of the melting pot is still very strong. That is still our idea of what it means for other co- cultures to come here. Is not is is that the whole culture mm-hmm. changes 
whereas I get the impression that in a lot of European countries, even though they may be generally more, might be more liberal than mm-hmm. America, I do think there's more of a sense of sure, come over here and then assimilate. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't think, again, very vocal lunatics notwithstanding. I think even I think most Americans would be against the idea of not allowing women to wear head, like the headscarf. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in France, they actually like were like at schools. Wasn't there a thing like girls? Uh, there were schools that were saying girls couldn't wear. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. The, like that's that's absurd to me because yeah. we have freedom of speech. We have freedom of religion, and that's these are things that like we believe in. Yeah. We believe that these things make us stronger, and I I guess I'm worried about I don't know the idea of Norwegians being radicalized by seeing by being like see they come here and they put on one face but really they're not Norwegian you know what I mean yeah 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 and that's and that's the thing is of course you saw the film and I didn't and so if there's a if there's a vindictive quality to it I guess I certainly understand but I do wonder if it's like like using art for vengeance and vengeance on a whole group instead mm-hmm. of the people that did the specific thing that can be i think troublesome yeah and that, i mean there's a difference between this and spotlight is that spotlight does have good catholics in it yeah that's it has true people who are part of the catholic church and are very troubled by this yeah that's true and there really aren't any other yeah. than nisha who is not really a she's sort of a secular muslim right um there aren't really any uh positive <laughs> Muslims in what will people say? Anyway, we've just gotten a great conversation out of it. So Incident- we should see it. Incidentally. So when I was TAing, uh, in my TA class, uh, is this, yeah. Okay. So looking at the book, like there are, they, they tell you to kind of stay away from politics. Mm-hmm. And one of the examples they give of a, of a political term that might not seem like a political term is melting pot. And so I thought like, is that a political term? And it's like, because it assumes that assimilation is inherently good. And I was like, well, I mean, I guess we have to agree on what assimilation means. Yeah. Cause I don't think melting yeah. pot is, I think melting pot is different from assimilation. I feel like assimilation is saying like it's come here and be the yeah. pre-existing idea of American. Whereas yeah. to me, the melting pot is that the idea of what yeah. America is, is always changing yeah. because of all add that. your thing to the pot yeah. and then it all comes together. But then it comes, but then it plays up the idea. It's like bring your thing and then someone will appropriate it, you know? And right. it's like, yeah, isn't that what everyone's doing all the time? Like, yeah, you know. well, appropriation, I think, we're way off topic here, yeah. but I think, I feel like, and this is a white person saying this, so I can't sure. really speak, this is just my guess, because I can't really speak, you know, my culture hasn't been, I'm not worried about, like, I'm not offended at St. Patrick's Day, my Irish culture <laughs> yes. has not been, like, uh, whatever, I don't care, um, but I feel like, oftentimes, it's not the appropriation of, let's say, black culture that is the issue, it's the fact that white people seem to like black culture more than they like black people. Do you know what I mean? And so they tr- they're right. trying to take it and not bring the black people along with yeah. it. Do you know it's what like, I mean? I like all of that, except <laughs> like, I like all those clothes. I'm not thrilled with the person underneath or it's, they wouldn't probably put it that way, but that is the, the effect. So I think yeah. I feel like when people are talking, are talking about appropriation, they're talking about, yeah. um, appropriation of, everything but the actual people who made this stuff you know and you, I, can, you can bring it into the culture yeah 
uh, but you're, you have to bring the people in too. And I do yeah, wonder. Melting pot should not be a political. Uh, I know, but I wonder. I do wonder though the St. Patrick's Day thing uh-huh. because, of course. There was a time when I, Irish were not thrilled, uh, like we're not welcomed here, and so yeah. I wonder, like, as St. Patrick's Day became more of a thing, yeah, and that's all I can describe it as. Uh, were there like maybe some older Irish people who are like, "What? Oh, oh now they like, like this? Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess you like the drinking part. Thanks for that, by the way. Just <laughs> associating me with that. Uh, that. That's a nice Notre Dame logo I see there. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it does make me wonder, like. Now it's a thing where, like, yeah, I, I don't, I can't think of any Irish people that have a problem with it. But I bet someone at someone at some point probably did. I feel yeah. like they would have to. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I don't know. What I was going to say about the melting pot thing is, I wonder how much of my worldview mm. comes from the fact that when I was young, the idea of the melting pot was presented apolitically to me. Do sure. You know what I mean, yeah. Like, because I never considered it a political issue, maybe that helped form what I think of as yeah. the basis of America. And I would, and this is where I think you and I are getting older. And I think that maybe school was different for us politically. You know, I like, I'm trying to think like what school would look like now like in the time in the time of the internet certainly but also like in the time of a very divisive president and that sort of thing um that and and the idea of like people just like separating kind of themselves into groups and and saying like well this group over here we don't like them and that and so if the term melting pot has become more Mm. political and of course this is me teaching people that are in for me notably notably younger. Mm-hmm. And so melting pot might mean a very different thing for them than it does for me. Now, don't get me wrong. You and I are still right because <laughs> you know, we're awesome, uh-huh. but yeah, it's uh, it's something to think about and something that I need to think about increasingly. Um, yeah. you know, like I'm, yeah. I'm going to be teaching at this after school program for mostly middle schoolers. And someone literally said to me, it's like, Hey, you should start playing Fortnite." so that you at least understand what every single one of these kids is going to be doing. Yeah. Like, play and, Fortnite. Watch, well, you are, you already watch YouTubers more than anyone I know. Um, it depends. I, I mean, I watch like five and then I just, when they update it, I'll, you yeah. know, I'll watch it. But anyway, sorry. Okay. We've All been, right. we've been going on for, All right, and then I've got one more before yeah. you even get to talk anyway, which I yeah. saw, uh, okay. Here's the it's a complete U-turn from what people say, uh, a f- super fun movie that everyone should go see while it's in theaters. Crazy rich Asians. I oh, saw okay. it. I loved it. It's a delight. Uh, it's, um, is it, is it basically my big fat Greek wedding, but with Asians, I hate to put it that way, but you know what I mean? Not, not really. Uh, I mean, the dynamics are different because, um, I mean, imagine you had to imagine my big fat Greek wedding from John Corbett's character's point of view. Sure. And also he's Greek, but not considered as Greek. Like that's the whole idea is sure. that our lead kind of, uh, Rachel Chu played by Constance Wu, um, is a Chinese American. Yes. And she's being brought, uh, to her, uh, insanely wealthy Chinese boyfriend's family mm-hmm. in 
in Singapore among actual, you know, people who don't see her as being, yeah. you know, at, at home, she's Chinese. Her mother's Chinese. She speaks Chinese. Yeah. Um, they don't think of her as Chinese. Right. She's an American. Yeah. Uh, and also she's a commoner, whereas they're, uh, again, insanely rich. Yeah. Um, would you say they're crazy rich? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would. Um, but, but the, well, the, thing, the thing is, it's not like all of these issues about that sort of cultural intersectionality and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and different histories and traditions and stuff like that, uh, in class, like all of that is there, but on the surface, the movie is just a really fun, really classical type throwback rom-com. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, rom-com just like, a it feels like a big Hollywood romance. He uses like John Chu is the director. He uses like big band music all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's a big, bright, colorful fun movie in a, in a way that it's uh uh you know i i mean i feel like because i've seen things like um movies like generation wealth that came out uh about a month ago um and other articles i've read about how like this kind of chinese wealth is a relatively new thing mm-hmm. you know yes um and uh a lot of what they've learned uh, about uh, you know about how to be rich. There was a whole GQ article, mm-hmm. and in, in Generation Wealth, there is uh, there's a woman who in China teaches wealthy women like essentially how to be rich, like hmm. how to pronounce fashion houses like oh, Givenchy wow. and Hermes and stuff like that, and like what to and, and teaches them like uh, dinner etiquette with like you know yeah. shrimp forks and. Uh, <laughs> cake knives and all the weird little, little things. Um, uh, and, um, and so I feel like there's something kind of meta textual about making a movie about that's in this world that is essentially learning how to be a big Hollywood production from old school, big Hollywood productions. Yeah. You know, it's, and I, and I don't think that's accidental. I think, I think the movie's very smart and it has, it has some, uh, it has a lot of very intentional like reappropriation. Um, a, a lot of it is in there. There are, uh, there are a lot of recognizable pop songs on the soundtrack, except they're being sung in Mandarin. Yeah. Um, there's also a part that like, uh, I was like, I, I, tell me if you think this, I was like, this is so subversive that I don't think people are even realizing how subversive it is. Okay. There's a part where a bunch of all these rich super rich Chinese like bros are going to a bachelor party on a boat in the middle of the ocean and they're taking helicopters and they played right of the Valkyries. Ah, <laughs> like that's nice. To, but, that it's, like, yeah. but it's not just like, Oh right. Like that other movie. It's like, Oh, what about that other movie about white invaders in yeah. Asia? Like yeah. that's insanely subversive to me and I loved it so much. Yeah. Uh, and then you get to the bar, the boat party and it's, so lavish and so over the top and so insane um because uh uh the guy who threw it is played by jimmy o yang from silicon valley hey, all right who plays the uh the um the the, the party boy i guess of the mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of of the scene um but yeah it's it's really uh really terrific it works as kind of a travelogue and foodie movie for singapore as as well um mm-hmm. made me want to go um, uh, and yeah, the cast is fantastic. 
I really love the movie. I can't, I'm not going to go on too long about it because we've already been going long enough. Boy, did I uh, not know John Chu's filmography. <laughs> What's that? Boy, did I not know his filmography. I did not He's know made, that I, the director... I, I've of, never seen any of them. But uh, yeah. I guess I... You know what? I haven't either. But boy, did I not expect the director of G.I. Joe Retaliation and Now You See Me Too as well as a couple of Justin Bieber, uh, or I yeah. guess, yeah, a couple of Justin and Bieber documentaries. Step Up movies too, right? Yeah. Yeah. It I, makes you want to watch all this stuff. Yeah. Cause the movie is, uh, very lively and, and, and tight and fun and well-made. I mean, when you look at this other stuff, you realize like they are celebrations of excess. <laughs> and so it kind of makes sense that he would make this movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so and then I'll say, um, the last thing, just a bit of a warning, to uh, my fellow Gleeks. Okay. Uh, Harry Shum Jr. is very highly billed in the movie and is barely in it. <laughs> I was like, uh, like, at one point in the movie, I was like, did I miss? I know the guy from Glee is in this movie. Uh, he's like fifth billed or whatever. Hmm. Uh, and then he shows up and I was like, oh, there he is. Oh, there he went. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, my understanding apparently is that the the book has sequels. Oh, okay. His characters in the sequels. So if this movie does well enough for them to make sequels, uh, he'll be in it more. Okay. So, uh, anyway. All right. So, um, my first of two movies again, three, uh, but I'm not going to say the third one, but I did. I have watched some TV, so I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Um, is West. I don't know what you act like. You've never been under embargo before. It's it's I'm I'm frustrated that I just realized it because I was like, okay three movies It's like I kind of set a goal for myself to at least have three movies per movie journal. Uh, And now I can't. So I'm upset. Uh, I also just don't like embargoes, but whatever. Anyway, so uh, I want some Cuban cigars, damn it. Um, (laughs) But. Okay, so Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs is uh-huh. what I is what I saw, and uh, I missed it in the theater, unfortunately. But you know, the the downside of waiting so long to see it is I had heard so many different opinions about it, positive and negative, and that sort of thing. And you know, I say that's a downside. Maybe it wasn't because my expectations were very low. As you know, I didn't really like Moonrise Kingdom that much. Mm-hmm. There are things I really love about Grand Budapest Hotel, but overall I didn't love it. Um, but I did like Fantastic Mr. Fox, yeah. so I thought like, okay, that was a long, that was nine years ago. So I haven't loved what he's been doing since, but he's making another like stop motion film, so maybe it'll be closer to that. Uh, it it didn't take long for whatever reservations I had to kind of melt away and just okay. realize that like. You know, and, and I'll get to the potentially like offensive stuff in a moment, but just, you know, I happen to see this in August. So at the end of like summer movie season <laughs> where even the movies I like, they just, they're, they're what you expect. And then I saw this and I was like, right. It's just, I, for a moment I get why people are just so head over heels in love with, with Wes Anderson. And again, when he's, when he's working, like it's, it's kind of great is that he's just doing things completely on his own wavelength. He's going to his own tone. He'll, he'll do his own tone, his own pacing. He just, 
he's he's acting as though like I don't have to prove anything to you. I'm just going to make this weird stop motion movie that looks kind of ugly and yet beautiful at the same time. Mm. Um, and I found it oddly refreshing. Uh, so, but it, that could very much have to do with when right. I saw it. <laughs> so, um, so there was that. Uh, as far as the idea of like you know Japanese culture and, and the way it's portrayed, and the idea that the the Japanese people we don't hear them, but we do hear the animals. I understand. I get why that why he would do that, which is like it it puts us so in in tune with the dogs themselves. Um, and so if they had had like the Japanese characters speaking English, it's like, well now, now I'm just connecting to all of them the same way. Uh, I did have the thoughts like, well, you could always just have it take place like in the U S but they just sound like Charlie Brown's <laughs> teacher or something. Yeah. Um, where I think so. And, and I think, I don't think that he was making fun of Asian culture. I think he's actually very respectful of it and really, and, and really likes it. I think he likes it. I don't know that he is respectful because I, I don't know about culture, but I've, I was more upset uh, that there are so many references to things like tidal waves and nuclear meltdowns right. and even mushroom clouds, like yeah. things, terrible things that have actually happened to Japan that yeah. are referenced in kind of an offhand or even jokey way. That's the stuff that bothered me. Yeah, and it's and it, I, I definitely see what you mean, and I do wonder if it's like. I, He's not he's not so glib a filmmaker that I feel like he would do that just for the dark humor of it. It's yeah. like there there must be something here. Like he must yeah. be trying to do something. I can't figure out what though. Exactly. Where I become frustrated is the I think she's perf- she's voiced perfectly fine by Greta Gerwig, but like the introduction of the American girl Mm-hmm. character she's a fine character but it's just like so the one person who has a problem with all this happens to be american like <laughs> right yeah i'm not thrilled with that and of course that's not actually true there are plenty of other japanese characters who have a problem with what's going on but but she's the one that's like doing something about it and and i thought like that doesn't seem necessary to me like i feel like you could have had this character be uh well you could have it be from any other country or you could just have her be like a just a Japanese like high school girl like mm-hmm. yeah and it would have been fine um how funny was the running joke of Brian Cranston's character picturing Scarlett Johansson's yeah. character in his head <laughs> yeah that's, that's <laughs> every funny. time she would be like you have to picture me doing whatever and then yeah. you picture some like insanely and elaborate says, version of it I can picture it um <laughs> and then I really I really enjoyed Jeff Goldblum's running like you're the rumor about so and so, and the rumor's always right. Like, uh-huh. and people are like, how are how are you hearing this? I'm like, I just listen. <laughs> um, so I did I did like it quite a bit uh, more than I thought I was going to. Um, I don't know if it's something that I would revisit as opposed to like Fantastic Mis- Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I did I did like it. It's it, it ranks somewhat high on my list. I don't think it cracks the top ten, but it's it's up there. All right, so moving on to another movie that's in theaters this weekend. You of can, the year, not uh, of all time. Sorry, I'm right. not crazy. Right. Um, yes. So, yeah, uh, I should have said you can read my review of Crazy Rich Asians. You can also read my review of Albert Hughes's Alpha. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I remember. I, so I texted a friend of mine, and I was like, another critic, I was like, hey, are you going to 
any screenings this week? And I, she was like, what are you seeing? And I was like, I'm seeing Alpha tomorrow. And she was like, the dog movie? They're finally releasing that? Because it's been sitting on the shelf for a year. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, I think... I, I wish I could I wish I could be fully in the camp of some of my fellow critics who are like who love it. Mm-hmm. I don't love it. I think it's worth seeing. I also think I understand why it sat around for so long because I don't know I, I if I were in charge of marketing at a studio I wouldn't know what the fuck to do with this. Movie. Yeah, it's so strange because it's a it's a boy and his dog story, except it's about a Cro-Magnon boy and the first wolf to ever be domesticated. Yeah. And it's not really lovey-dovey. Like they bond, but this isn't like old yeller. Like they go through some rough shit (laughs) together. And here's the real kicker. The movie is told entirely in a completely invented language that was invented for the movie with subtitles. (laughs) Which is such a strange choice that, again, I love that choice. But when I got home and I told Natalie about that, she was like, don't they want kids to see that? Like, it's a movie. It's a movie. About, it's I a totally rated yeah. movie about a boy and his dog. You'd think yeah. it's a kid's movie. But like, well, based on what you're saying, I totally get why critics like it, yeah. because it's just like, this isn't for anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the only one that's going to see it. This uh, is fun. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's also it's the first movie I've watched in 3d in almost two years. Hmm. I think, I think the last movie I saw in 3d was the great wall. And that was early 2017. Is that right? That sounds right to me. Yeah. Okay. So like a year and a half then, um, since I've seen a, uh, a 3d movie and the 3d is really good, really well done. Um, the kid is Cody Smith McPhee. uh, the main kid. Um, and then there's, other at the beginning so the whole story is that he's uh goes on his first hunt in the tribe as he he's become a man his father's a leader of the tribe and on his first hunt um the buffalo like tosses him over a cliff and everyone thinks he's dead and they leave him and then he wakes up with a broken foot and is almost immediately set upon by wolves and he manages to get his knife out and cut one of them very badly and then find mm-hmm. shelter the next morning all the wolves are gone except there's this one that's still hurt and instead of finishing him off he takes finishing it off he takes pity on it mm-hmm. they go to a cave where they both recover from their wounds together and then they set off together back to his village um but other than so once he is left behind by the hunting party there are no other people in the movie at all um it's just him and this wolf uh and then occasionally some other and like other wolves, there's hyenas that are big jerks. There's a saber tooth tiger. Um, the hyenas are such jerks. Yeah. Um, and also, I was like, do they like are hyenas native? Because it's Europe. It's it's Europe twenty thousand years ago. That's the first okay. uh, like card on the screen. Do they have hyenas. There? I, f- I feel like hyenas are like African. I think of them as African. Yes. But maybe they had I had hyenas in Europe at the time. Uh, I don't know. Um, so yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of it. I definitely think it's it's worse, like especially if uh, if it ends up being one of the two movies that Movie Pass will let you see. Sure, definitely yeah. go because like I, I hate for people to miss it. It's like crazy cool to look at. It's not like any other movie I've ever seen in some ways. It's uh, I feel like it's fairly rare 
for us to talk about movies in terms of who they're for. Like uh-huh. if it's effective, so be it. But every once in a while, like the, the marketing person and you comes out and you're like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, yeah. well, it's not your job. It's still, it's, uh, you know, I guess there, I guess critics can say like, Oh, if you have kids, this is good for you or whatever. Yeah. And like, who would you recommend this to? Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. People, uh, I, I guess people who want to see something, that isn't like every, everything else in the movie theater. It's you want to go to like a mainstream, like an AMC, you got your AMC a list say, which I'm probably going to get. Yeah. This is a good chance to see a kind of singular movie, uh, at a major multiplex in three in IMAX 3d. Nonetheless, no less. That's, that also is crazy. Like yeah. clearly the, the studio is like, we don't know what this is, but we're going to commit to it a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, I would say that if you want to see an IMAX 3d, probably go opening weekend because it, theaters aren't going to keep using their IMAX screens yeah. for alpha because it's not going to be a big hit, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, as a first, uh, first movie that that's just one Hughes, but mm-hmm. I guess they've directed some TV separately from one another, hmm. but, um, it's not, yeah, the, they haven't been a movie. It hasn't been a movie by them since book of Eli, I think. Right. Or do they, has it been that long? Um, that's like seven years. Uh, no, longer than that. Eight, no, yeah. uh, I think that's two thousand. That might be two thousand nine. That might actually be. Um, well, so uh, yeah, um, Alpha. It was weird, man. But uh, <laughs> definitely glad I saw it. I had to like ask for the press invite, and I'm super glad that I did. Uh, all right, let's move on to. I watched a. Uh, I watched the new Blu-ray that's about to come out. There'll be a review on the site soon, um, although probably not from me because I'm very busy uh, this week. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Um, mm, uh, so, can you stall me for stall for a second? Okay. So let's see. Uh, I wait. What's the New York? tongue twister i don't even remember <laughs> i love I, new york i, I love new york i know i need unique new york that's right i forgot that it starts with i love new york because it's like love doesn't fit with the with the tongue twister element yeah oh no it's i know i know new york i need there new york. i know i need unique new york got it okay and there's red leather yellow leather yellow leather red leather yeah. uh the big blue bug bit the big black bear wow rubber baby You're buggy v- bumpers that one i know yeah um We've done this before. On the she show, sells I, seashells by the seashore. She sells, she sells by, yeah. uh, I slit the sheet, the sheet I slid upon the slitted sheet I sit, which I only know because of the jerk. <laughs> um, um, okay. What, what was I stalling for? Uh, this better it's, have a payoff. No, it's still going. It's still going. Okay. So let's see here. Um, uh, it's so interesting when someone tells you to stall and it's like, I am a fucking windbag, but if someone says stall, I've got nothing. You could say that we could just stop recording while <laughs> David is uh, handling his business. And I don't mean it in that way. That's inappropriate. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so. I'm trying to make, there might, there might be some uh, uh, domestic uh, issue that some, I have to take care of. Some doings? Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I watched a movie that's coming out on Blu-ray um, called Return of the Living Dead Part 2. Okay, so you're the one that uh, uh, linked actually, into Actually, I'm not. Someone else is going to end up reviewing it, but I did oh, watch it. Okay. Um, uh, it's No, I, I don't know if you remember I watched when, when Screen Factory put out the first one. I watched yeah. it, and I was like, this is... 
you know, this is something all right. But yeah. I feel like the first one is also very like kind of mean spirited in some ways. Sure. Kind of juvenile. Not that this one isn't, but this one is much. It doesn't have the gratuitous nudity. It doesn't have right. any nudity at all of of the first one. Uh, and it actually has a really, to me, hilarious like meta joke, which is that um, the two guys who initially get sick and die in the first one. Mm those actors show up again as being the two guys who initially get sick and die in this one, but they're not playing the same characters. They intentionally recycle some of the dialogue and like also kind of have like a reference to like deja vu or like, this feels like this has happened, like this has happened before or something like that. Um, but it's very funny to me since one of them is James Karen, who is one of the great, um, great character actors. And, uh, by the way, still alive. He's like 95. Yeah, he's he's uh, been around a long time. Yeah. Um, more on him later, actually. Had a little James Karen double feature this week. Um, but yeah, Return of the Living Dead 2 also has Dana Ashbrook, uh, who played Bobby Briggs yeah. on uh, on Twin Peaks. Um, it also, I can't really recognize him, but it has a young Doug Benson as a zombie. <laughs> um, uh, and it also, and then the uh, there's a, like a drunk doctor character who's played by uh, and I, uh, Phil Bruns, I think is the actor's name. Okay. And I was like, why is this guy so recognizable to me? And I looked him up. I am to beat him. And he's the guy who played Jerry's dad in the first Seinfeld episode. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And never came back. Yeah. He was just Jerry's dad the once. Um, uh, so yeah, and he's very funny in the movie. I, the movie is like 85 minutes. It's got the one thing, it, uh, one of the other things that carries over, um, from the first one is the really terrific uh, practical effects. Yeah. These zombies uh, look amazing, look super gory, and the they have like animatronic parts that make you know worms come out of their heads and shit. Like uh, it's really cool, um, and I really uh, I really enjoyed it. And it didn't leave. I know it's like sacrilegious to say it's better than the first one, but it didn't leave a sour taste in my mouth like the first one. Well, that's something. Right. Um, okay. Um, and then uh, <laughs> uh, Tyler's very bothered by what's going on outside. Um, Taking a sweet ass fucking time moving down the street. Uh, maybe it's selling so much. It seems like it stopped. Maybe someone was buying something. Oh, um, my stupid neighbors. With their love of ice cream. So, uh, well, where was I? Next up. Okay, so this is a third movie. By the way, there are seven reviews on the website this week mm-hmm. guess how many of them i wrote all of them seven yeah this has been a very tiring week Sorry. Uh, but the other one that i watched this week that is actually out this week at least in los angeles and new york is a uh dramedy called breaking and exiting it is the oh okay yeah, yeah. directorial debut of peter fascinelli the actor peter fascinelli from uh can't hardly wait is most the first thing i think but also damages yeah and uh i guess a younger generation knows him from the twilight movies but i haven't seen those yeah um and everybody knows he was in the big kahuna. Sure. That's what everyone yeah, knows him from. Um, and so the premise is, uh, of this movie is that, uh, the actor Milo Gibson, Mel Gibson's son. Okay. Um, and yes, apparently Mel Gibson was at the screening. I was at, I did not see him. Oh wow. Uh, but I went to the bar afterwards, uh, and the bartenders were all flutter that Mel Gibson had been, uh, in there. Hmm. Um, I guess a I guess it makes sense that he would be at the bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he like, didn't like his son's movie and just went to the bar. During... <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Cause it's not that great, but, uh, Milo Gibson plays a, uh, a, 
uh, a sort of a petty thief, uh, a house, you know, a guy who breaks into people's houses. Mm. Um, and he breaks into one house that he thinks is empty, but it turns out there's a woman uh, who has taken a bunch of pills and is planning on killing herself in the bathtub. Mm-hmm. And he, like, sort of gets her up and gets the pills out of her system and basically realizes, like, okay, if I leave, she's going to try it again. If I call the cops, she's going to turn me in for breaking into their, mm-hmm. into her house. And so they end up kind of just, like, spending the weekend together. Um, and that's when the movie gets better. The... So what I've said should have happened right at the beginning. The problem is there's like a whole half hour movie before that mm-hmm. that is completely pointless, that has terrible, terrible voiceover first person narration, like complete with like freeze frames. Like it, it almost has like the yep, that's me meme. <laughs> thing. Like that almost happens like yeah. twice. Um, uh, and, and the movie is just a little too 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 sloppy it feels very you know it feels like a first time director in a lot of ways um i would like to hope that he is able to make something better in the future uh but i wouldn't recommend spending much time with breaking exiting even though when the movie is working milo gibson and jordan hinson is the woman who plays uh the um uh the suicidal woman who was also the screenwriter Mm -hmm. so um and producer of the movie uh when it's working, they have good chemistry together. But I think um, Peter Fascinelli just can't seem to like balance because, like I said, it's a dramedy, and he, I feel like he's he takes too much time with the comedy, which ends up taking the air out of it, and then he rushes the emotional beats, which keep them from really landing. It just seems like a movie that needed to go back to the drawing board in a couple of ways. Uh, but the, the elements are there. That's what's so fresh. Sure. I like the premise. Um, it, 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 it has kind of a, um, I mean, it could be kind of a dark comic take on like a before sunrise thing. It's just these, this man and this woman for like an entire weekend in this house, uh, while he's trying to cheer her up or make her appreciate life or just talk her out of trying to kill herself. As you know, I do not like it when uh, actors direct. Uh, it's, I mean, some some great movies have come out of it, and uh, some really great filmmakers uh, have have started as actors. But boy, it just—I uh, feel like usually you get this, like people who, God bless them, everyone has to start somewhere. But it's just one of those things, like you know, if you weren't an actor, you probably wouldn't have had this opportunity. Uh, but whatever, that's mean of me to say. Yeah, he seems like a nice guy. I'm go- sure he's a perfectly nice guy. He goes to my Trader Joe's. Oh, okay. How's he doing? <laughs> I've seen him there once. I don't know if he actually goes to my Trader Joe's, but I have seen him there. Okay. The the one famous person that I can say goes to my Trader Joe's because I've seen her there more than once is Miley Cyrus. Oh, oh <laughs> um, wow, that's weird. Uh, yeah, uh, I've also seen Brenda Strong at my Trader Joe's. Oh, okay. Um, that's Sue Ellen Mischke to. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Seinfeld fans out there. I've seen who else? Matt Walsh. I think I saw Catherine McPhee, but it was a uh, uh, very, very brief. Uh, yeah, I see a lot of famous people at my Trader Joe's. I don't go to Trader Joe's. I go to Food for Less. Oh yeah. And I see uh, this guy that goes to my church there sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I used to go to Food for Less when I lived by the Hollywood uh, Sunset Western one. Uh, all right, and then I've got one more. Um, and it is oh my god okay so this one I will have a review of sometimes I get these like uh, this one's from Scream Factory I get these I'm like I haven't heard about this I've never heard of this movie it's from 1991 in this case 
is probably going to be garbage. Sometimes they're sometimes they're garbage. No, it's not probably, but sometimes they're garbage. Like there was the one, and I'm forgetting the name of now, uh, with Chris Sarandon, um, uh, that Dan O'Bannon made. It, it was terrible. Oh right. Um, but I watched this movie from 1991, which also has James Karen in it. Um, but stars Brooke Adams. Do you know Brooke Adams? Um, Sounds familiar. She's uh, the girlfriend or the fiance slash ex girlfriend. Uh, from the dead zone. Oh, okay. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's also in the seventies, um, body snatchers. Movie. Right. Yes. Uh, okay. Anyway, so she's the star. Uh, it's called the unborn from 1991. Okay. And basically she and her husband, they can't conceive. They go to this doctor played by James Karen because the, uh, her husband's coworkers, wife had the same situation recommends him. And, um, uh, and all, suddenly she's able to get pregnant. Um, but then she starts like getting weird rashes and starting and he gives her starts giving weird pills and weird tapes to listen to. She starts to, talking to other women who have been, been through this when they find there's something unnatural about it. And, um, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just some kind of mutant baby that he's putting her yeah. um, or something. Uh, and the movie is so great. And so uh, like it, it takes a, it takes a premise that has potential, to go crazy and full on fucking goes crazy with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it really does go over the top by the end in a way that is not, it didn't take me out of the movie cause it gets there step by step, you know, and it keeps getting crazier and crazier. Uh, also, uh, young Kathy Griffin is in it. Oh really? Um, <laughs> so she played, uh, she pay, she plays like a hippie lesbian who, uh, runs these like, Lamaze type classes, but they're only for the mothers. They don't want any male energy. Um, and so she's kind of like a, this like a comedic character, which I guess that's why you make sense. Uh, Kathy Griffin. Um, but, uh, I, I I can't give too much away, but this is a movie that, but it's a lot of, it's a, a lot of crazy fun, but also it's very much a movie about the idea of the, uh, which I think is even more common now than it was in 1991, the idea of the educated liberal middle-class upper middle-class woman who waits until later in life to have children and then is confronting the, the idea of balancing work and family and also the idea of, I see myself as this kind of member of society, but this makes me more of a traditionalist. Sure. Am I like, you know, am I selling out? Am I going back on who I am or whatever by, by following the, the predetermined motherhood route or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it gets really into all of these, uh, uh, all of these insecurities. Um, it's man, it's so fucking good. The unborn. Okay. Um, what year did it come out? 91. 91. Okay. All right. You've got one more and then <sighs> if I don't claw my ears out, it usually stops down the street, which it did already. And then it started driving and then stopped right outside my house. It's just sitting there. Do you think the listeners can hear it? Yes. Yeah. Listeners, if this bothers you and you would like us to like stop recording while this thing goes by, please let me know. It's one, it's yet another thing that I hate about the summer. This thing doesn't come through in the winter. Ah, okay. So, and it's, uh, no, thank you. Um, let's pause. Okay. Okay. We're back. The, the ice cream truck left 
Immedi- yeah. As soon as we turned off yes. the stupid thing. Uh, all right. So what did you watch? So I watched a documentary by James Stern called American Chaos. I was very curious to see this slash reluctant because essentially, so James Stern is, he's a director, but he's also a producer. So he's been, you know, he's been in Hollywood for a long time. And when he saw the way the 2016 primaries were going, he was really fascinated by this Trump guy. (laughs) And, um, and so he started and he was, he's just like, how could anybody vote for this person? And so he decided that he was going to actually like go out kind of on the road and talk to Trump supporters and be like, well, you know, nobody's listening to them. And so let's, at least nobody I know he's based in LA and all that. And so, uh, so he goes to Florida, he goes to West Virginia, he goes to Arizona. And I think, I think one or two other places. And he talks to people who are Trump supporters, even in the primary. And then, and then he, and you follow him like through the, the general election. He goes to the, the, uh, Republican convention in Ohio. And his whole thing is I want to listen, you know, like, he was born into like a, a Kennedy loving Democrat family. You know, it's, he's been, he's been blue state his entire life. He's from Chicago. So of course he loved Obama. Um, and so he's just like, well, you know, the only people I know are the people that I, that agree with me. And so he talks to various people and as tends to happen, some people make a better case than others. And, what I like is, and, and I don't think, I genuinely don't think he's out to make people look bad. I think they make, some of them make themselves look bad and some of them don't. Some of them actually are very intelligent, you know, and we have an image in, in our mind of like what the Trump voter looks like. And, you know, the minute he goes to Florida, like the number of Cubans that are voting for Trump uh, was surprising. Um, and then there's actually a little moment that I thought was interesting where he's like at a, at like a Trump rally. And, and I think he kept this in to make himself look, um, dumb Uh where you actually see, uh, like people selling t-shirts and stuff like that, that they made themselves. And some of the people are black. And then it actually cuts to him later saying, it's like, it's like, like, so this is white America. You like, he has a very clear, he had a clear idea and maybe he didn't see them, but the cameraman did. And so yeah. it's sort of like his way of saying, I have a very clear idea of what this looks like. I, and even though there clearly are like Latino and African American supporters, like I am still locked into this idea. Um, but then when he goes, there were but, a lot of, uh, if I remember correctly, a lot of Florida Cubans were pro Bush too. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Um, because like they they hate Castro so much, <laughs> right. um, and so uh, so anybody who even toys with the idea of socialized anything is like, oh no, no, yeah. thank you. Um, and one guy was kind of funny. He said, he's like, you know, Castro because he lived uh, in Cuba during uh, the I say during the Castro regime. It's still going on, but uh, Fidel Castro and. And he said, he goes, you know, he said he wanted total equality and he was right. We were all poor. <laughs> and, and he's just like, and so where it really starts to get interesting is when he goes to West Virginia. And then I think for me, the most interesting part is Arizona because 
when we think of Arizona in regards to like politics and we think about, you know, immigration and stuff, we have a very clear idea that, oh, okay, it's, it's like bigoted. It's these racist people. Mm-hmm. And it's in West Virginia, he's, he's talking to people that voted for Obama twice, you know, and that, but they're all out of work because coal is, is going away and Democrat and like Obama and Hillary were like celebrating that. And they're like, uh, Hey guys, what about me? And then Trump says, well, we're going to bring jobs back. Never mind the fact that it's just becoming an outdated, uh, source of energy. Um, and so that's an unfortunate thing, but like if it's between the guy who says, I'm going to bring your jobs back and the people who are saying like, no, these jobs shouldn't exist. It's like, yeah, we're going to go with this guy over here. But then in Arizona, it's like this one woman talks about like, she's like, I I can't tell you how many people, how many like illegal immigrants, like on my ranch, like they've gotten sick. They've been through a really terrible journey. And so like, I'll, I'll bring them in. I'll give them food. I'll let them stay at my Mm -hmm. place for a little while and then like send them on their way. And she's like, I'm not happy about that. I don't want to have to do that. And then she's like, and the number of dead bodies I've found mm-hmm. on my ranch is not a thing I want. And, and she talks about, uh, a rape tree where, and she, she goes out of her way. So like, you know, some of the bad immigrants are in this group and it's all anonymous and they just rape some of the other women in this group, uh, and then hang their underwear on a tree. And she's like, I, I don't, want that on my property or anywhere near me. It's a horrible thing. And the anonymity that comes with illegal immigration kind of allows that to happen. And so I thought that was very interesting. Uh, and of course there are plenty of people who cannot articulate why they like Trump. They can articulate why they don't like Hillary, but a lot of the stuff they say is not verifiable and it's just very gut, you know, to go back to that, the Bush thing, like Mm -hmm. that gut thing. Um, and so I think he does a very good job of, he's not trying to be objective. It's very clear. He has a point of view. And so even when he says like, my goal is to listen, he still can't help himself and he'll still like talk to like, professors that he knows clearly from UCLA, every professor's from UCLA, Uh go, go Bruins, obviously. But, um, uh, and so, so he still can't quite help himself. He still needs to provide like this other perspective. And it's just like, yes, but you're already getting that perspective and your audience is too. Like you say, you want to listen. If you want to go back and forth with them, that's fine. But like by bringing this other thing, it's still interesting, but it just, it, it felt like, Oh, you were almost there. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was such a neat idea what you did. And by the end, he, he comes to a conclusion that I think I, I very much agree on where he says, you know, Hey, the pendulum's going to swing the other way. It, it always does. And he says, I hope it doesn't sing swing quite as far where people will feel unheard and left behind. And then whoever, whoever says, I hear you is who they're going to go with. Like, I hope it actually lands a little bit more towards the middle so that everybody at least feels heard. Mm -hmm. And it was a very interesting, I mean, there's no question that he condemns Trump and, and there's also this thing of like, you know, he's documenting his own reaction to the campaign. And so constantly you're, you're hearing, you hear him saying like, he's like, Oh, I'm a little bit nervous, Uh but then he'll go back to LA and talk to his LA friends. He's like, you know what? I think it's fine. Yeah. And so, uh, 
but then he's talking about like how well Hillary is doing. And he's like, he goes, look at how stupid Trump is. And the stuff he's saying, like, like it would take, it's like, she has like a 92% chance of winning. Like what kind of person would blow that? And then she says her deplorables comment. Oh, right. And he's like, what are you doing? He's like, yeah. Mitt Romney dismissed 47% of the country and he lost. Like, that's what you're doing here. And so it's, it's an interesting, on top of everything else, it's a really interesting snapshot of this yeah. time seen from a very perspective, a very specific perspective, uh, of someone who's trying to get other perspectives. So, and I worry that I might've said too much, but it's still, it's still fascinating to watch. I liked it so much more than I thought I was going to. All right. Yeah. Next month is the two year anniversary of the deplorable comment. All right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, all right. You had some TV you wanted to talk about. We've been going for a yeah, long time. Yeah. It feels longer because we stopped for a second. There. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I have been, I guess you'd call it a rewatch. Um, so I've been rewatching Futurama specifically seasons eight, nine and 10, which I have seen like once and was largely unfamiliar with, you okay. know? Um, of course you see on my shelf, I own seasons one through four back after it was canceled. And so I've seen those episodes many, many times. And then when it came back, I watched a lot of those, but the last few seasons I really hadn't seen, I like there, there was an episode and I was like, Oh, I remember this one. I remember nothing about it. None of the jokes, nothing like that. And I'm not exactly, uh, you know, staking a claim here, but, uh, Futurama is so fucking good. Okay. <laughs> like it's, I was watching speaking, you know, you talked about me watching like YouTubers and stuff like that. There was, I was watching a YouTube, uh, little video essay about the big bang theory and why it isn't what it would seem to be. It would seem to be like a sitcom about like super smart people and, and thus it is smart. And the person's like, it's not like when this character responds with like sci science fiction or just science gibberish, you know, it probably makes perfect scientific sense. The laugh is not, the laugh is not coming. What's going on in your neighborhood, man? I don't know. Did somebody like rig a lawnmower into a motorcycle? <laughs> sounds like, yeah. It sounds like but, drag um, racing or something. but yeah. And so, um, this idea that, uh, <laughs> still going, I, you know what? Good for you, buddy. You're a very <laughs> intelligent, smart person that I would love to get to know. Very virile. Very. Vi- oh, <laughs> no like question that, about it. The, the no sound of that engine makes you think that guy's very virile. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this video talked about, um, that the humor in like big bang theory does not is not actually coming from what he's saying. It's the fact that he is responding to like a human situation with like, Oh, well no one, whatever he's saying the science gibberish, that's ridiculous. And it's just like, it's not actually smart. Mm-hmm. You look at the science fiction jokes in Futurama and the science fiction thing they are saying mm-hmm is the joke, you know, like right. that. It's not the fact that they're doing it. It's the thing itself. And so in watching Futurama and just like, man, it is, it's hilarious. And some of the jokes are dumb, but they're the smartest kind of dumb. And then yeah. some of them are, are, I have no doubt that I, who have, I have, I merely have a master's degree in film 
by which I mean like you would think that a degree in film of any kind was like, I know these jokes, but like, I feel like you have to have a PhD in like thermodynamics yeah. if you can actually get a doctorate. And that seems like you probably could, um, to get some of these jokes. I have no doubt that you and I, and we're both fairly smart, well-read yeah. people. I mean, like, not everyone has their masters, but the point is, yeah, um, I'm not that well. read. <laughs> <laughs> I've read, I've been an entertainment subscriber <laughs> for 17 years. Um, I'm reminded of that, uh, that SNL sketch. Who's more grizzled. You remember <laughs> with Norm MacDonald yeah, yeah. and it featured, like Robert Duvall, who wasn't the host. Uh And so he goes, and so Robert Duvall just goes, I I never had much call for book learning. He goes, "Mm, that's a very grizzled response. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it just, it is operating on such a high level. I feel like you get smarter when you watch it. Mm. Um, I don't know. I might be playing, I might be playing it up too much, but it's just such a genius show. And what you, what you have said for years, which is that like, Futurama is better than the Simpsons, which certainly people agree now. But when you realize you were saying that when there are four seasons, there are now 10 and they're all not every episode's a complete winner, but that's 10 great seasons. Yeah. And I think my argument was more came down to that because a lot of people had worked on the Simpsons, maybe Futurama was a show that had, that figured itself out very early on. True. Whereas the Simpsons sort of, yeah, took a while. And I'm, I'm, interested in the new one was it disenchanted that it's disenchantment uh, disenchantment uh on netflix i'm interested in it like matt Groening shows do take a little while to completely find their footing but the downside of netflix is that you've got a season right, a right. full season like you can't figure things out four episodes in or something like that so i'm cautious but i'm i'm looking forward to it but listeners my guess is you've probably seen futurama but if you haven't check it out you will be so glad you did